greatest threats to uh, life and leadership, even for the next upcoming season. And I would even go as far as to say as we celebrate 25 years in preparation for the upcoming years that God has destined for this ministry. There's a particular threat that holds true, not just for this ministry, but for all ministries that has longevity. And the word that God has given comes from the book of Amos, chapter number six, if you would, commencing at verse number one. You would find these words. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. The notable men of the first of the nations into whom the house of Israel come, pass over canal and sea, and from there go to Hamath, the great, and then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence, Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the, from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invents for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in the bowls and anoint themselves with the finest of oils, but do not grieve over the ruins of Joseph. I want to talk from this thought and theme, conquering complacency. Conquering complacency. Let us pray. God, as we now position and posture ourselves under the authority of your word, it is our prayer that you would indeed speak, enable us to hear what the Spirit says even to the church. I pray now, God, that you would grant clarity of speech and thought. And I pray for the receptivity of the hearts and minds of these, your people. The entry of your word brings light, life, and liberty. And we claim all three now. So, Lord, do now speak as we, your servants, seek to hear and to heed. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. And all those that agree with this prayer, in one united voice said, Amen. Let me start by stating that even right now, we live between the experiences of now and nets. Now denotes the current realities that we face in life. Now addresses the immediate and the present circumstances that we encounter as we live in life. There is this present reality that we all face in life that is stamped by our current experience. However, just suppose with now is our nets experience. The word nets, of course, is intentionally one that denotes that there is something unique that is on the horizon. There's a nets chapter, there's a nets opportunity, there's a nets goal, there is a nets objective that is to be achieved. That you and I cannot pause and just celebrate what is now but rather we must prepare for what is next. Next to notes that there is something coming, something forward, something succeeding, something forthcoming, something that is anticipated, something that is beyond what was and what is. Next describes the attitude or the disposition that resists the notion that 
Nothing else is to be achieved or to be assented towards. Nets implies that there is something beyond our current life experience. And so in light of that, the Nets mindset and even the Nets mantra asserts that there's more to apprehend, there's more to achieve, there is more to accomplish that is beyond what the eye can see or even the ear has heard. There is possibility that is still awaiting on the horizon that you and I must seize. And even beyond that, consider what Maya Angelou says. When she speaks about this context of nets, she says, and I quote, I have great respect for the past. If you don't know where you're coming, uh, where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. I have respect for the past, but I'm a person of the moment, says Maya. I'm here, and I do my best to completely center myself at the place that I'm at. Then I go forward, here it is, to the next place. Because Nets is always looking ahead. Nets is always advancing. Nets is always anticipating something greater. However, as described by Maya Angelou, in spite of the reality of Nets, you and I must also accept life's antithesis. In other words, we must deal with one of the contradictions to Nets. That with every hill and every mountain, there's also valleys. With every oasis, there's also deserts. With every sun, there's also seasonal showers and even violent storms. Because sometimes the Nets may not be a blessing. It could even be a burden. That was the issue that Job's wife had. Even as Job's wife would question him regarding his steadfast loyalty to God amidst all of the devastating misfortunes and miseries of his life. To which Job was able to embrace the antithesis of life. The text says, even there in Job 2 verse 9 down to verse number 10, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women which speaks. Shall we receive good from God and not misfortune? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job asserts that whatever God has deemed nets for his life, he is willing to remain faithful and steadfast to God. As much as we may desire and even beyond that get to the point and place that we seek to deny and dismiss the realities of life, the reality is simply this, that nets in life could be a curveball. Life comes with, yes, triumphs, but yes, it also comes with even tragedies. And yet we must acknowledge and accept the unpredictability of life. A matter of fact, that 21st century non-biblical prophet by the name of Forrest Gump he put it this way, that life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Can somebody testify that life has been like that for me? There's been moments that life has been just like a box of chocolates. Unpredictable. Something that cannot be calculated. Something that cannot be figured out. However, as we faith it forward with an optimistic outlook on life, we must, of course, do so with a tenacious attitude, an unwavering commitment that whatever God has declared, decreed, and has destined for nets in our lives, we know that ultimately it is for our good. 
and even for his glory. For every facet of life experience, God has more. God has something greater that is next. God has something better that is next. God has something extraordinary that is next. God has something that is mind-blowing and mind-boggling that is next. He has a next dimension for your marriage, a next dimension for your ministry, a next dimension for your relationship, a next dimension for your career, a next dimension for your business, a next dimension for your dream, a next dimension for your goals, something next for your aspiration. He has something next socially, relationally, financially, spiritually. He has something next for your walk with him, something next for your spiritual growth. He has something that somebody shout. He has something next. Whatever blessing or breakthrough that God has in store next for your life, listen attentively. There is one impasse. There is one impediment that must be dismantled and conquered. It is the spirit of stagnation. It is the attitude of apathy and it is the cognitive disposition of complacency. There's no doubt God has something that's for exceeding grace, but you cannot allow complacency to keep you from what is next. Some major next moves and decisions that were supposed to be achieved in your life was left unaccomplished because of complacency. You're supposed to be much further than you are right now. And I'm not speaking to the church corporately. I'm speaking to you individually. There's goals that you were supposed to accomplish. There was things that you were supposed to achieve, but you have left them undone. Can I tell you why? You got complacent. However, whatever God's next move, a blessing and breakthrough is in your life, it will not come to pass until the mindset of complacency is conquered. Our achievement and our apprehension of what God has next in our life, apprehending what God has next in our life, is often not due to resources, opportunities, and abilities, and potential issues. But your biggest issue may well be complacency. I want you to listen very attentively as I give you this quote that comes from an anonymous writer speaking about complacency. Listen very attentively. Complacency is the blight that saps energy, dulls attitudes, causes a drain on the brain. Listen to this. The first symptom is satisfaction with things as they are. The second is rejection of things as they might be. Here it is. Good enough becomes today's watchword and tomorrow's standard. Preach, Oliver, I'm trying. Complacency makes people fear the unknown, mistrust the untried, abhor the new, like water. Complacent people follow the easiest course, watch this here, downhill. They draw false 
strength and motivation from looking back. You can always tell a complacent person because they always have a point of reference about how good it was when. <laughs> you should have knew me when. Here's the problem. That was then. This is now. And you're stuck between here it is, what is next, because you're stuck on what is now and what was. I want you to let that simmer on the crock pot of your heart for a moment. Because whatever God desires and has destined to do next in our lives, in enhancing and expanding us, here it is, in giving us something that exceeds what was. It requires that we conquer complacency. A.W. Tozer defines complacency, listen to this here, as the mindset that has a psychological interpretation of the usual. You become dictated by the routine, no longer expecting anything, here it is, unusual from God. And a matter of fact, you know you're complacent when you have the same rhythm and routine in your life. You wake up, go to work, come home, talk to the same trifling folks, you eat, and you go to sleep. And did you know what you do the next day? You wake up, you go to work, talk to the same trifling folks, you come home, and you eat, go to bed. You know what you do the day after that? You wake up, and it becomes a cycle of the usual. When you're stuck with a complacent mindset, you no longer grow. There's no expectation, no sense of excitement. You just live a humdrum existence. Matter of fact, you're just waiting to die. And so the greatest threat to your Nets experience, here it is, is not the forces outside of you, it's the attitude inside of you. It's an attitude that has to be broken. And you got to get to the point in place that you accept the reality that eyes have not seen, ears has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men the great things that God has in store. Here it is, nets for me. Somebody shout, he has something nets. There's hope, however, because what's opposite to, 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 to complacency is newness, freshness, aliveness. God has, here it is, something greater. Nets in store. I say all of that to now get to the text because Amos is sent to the people of Israel not to condemn them, but to point them forward. Amos preaches to inform the people of God to live with a hopeful disposition 
and to not become, here it is, so stuck with what they have. So Amos provides a jolt of reality to their complacency. The people of Israel was living in a time of relative ease. They were comfortable. They had experienced prosperity, and now prosperity has breed complacency. Israel was no longer interested in doing more. Matter of fact, Israel has gotten to the point in place that they are now living according to the text in their ivory towers. Failing to recognize that their ivory towers would end up becoming a house of cards that would end up crashing. Sadly, there's much evidence in Amos' prophetic words that their life of ease and enjoyment came at the expense of the poor. Amos is writing within a context wherein the rich was getting richer while the poor was getting poorer because it was extortionism taking place. And so here in Amos chapter 6, verse 1 down to verse number 6, he outlines for us two of the unfortunate issues with complacency. Complacency is oftentimes the byproduct, here it is on one hand, of overindulgence in life leisures. In other words, you can become so comfortable living a leisured life that you live a leisured life but never leave a legacy behind your life. You got a nice leisurely life. But the question that really must be pondered, what's your legacy? Will your whole life consist of a bouquet of flowers on top of a coffin? And after you've been deposited, there's no legacy that outlives you. Matter of fact, I live with this mindset. I live, here it is, to give from the grave. I want generations after me to reap the benefits of my life that was not lived complacent. You're either living life overindulged in life leisures or you're living life overwhelmed by life loads. Where you lived a life where you're so tired, so uncertain that you've given up hope, here it is, and you've gotten to a point that you don't even try. You have allowed life to beat you down so that you don't even try. And you're just, again, as stated, just waiting to die. But I've come today to conquer the mindset of complacency. And throughout Scripture, we hear how God desires for us To not be a people that are complacent, but rather to be a people that are forward-thinking about the future. Listen again to how one person described this issue of complacency as it pairs with what Amos is outlining in the text. He writes, and I quote, as it relates to complacency, it invades areas once occupied with passion, interest, desire, and focus when complacent. The valued things that had captivated our thoughts, our hearts, our energy tends to fade from priority and can even become mundane or even boring routines of everyday life. 
burnout in our work life, loss of fire in our relationships, and the lack of zeal for things we once held important are common experience. The shame is not complacency, but in the failure to recognize it and to take corrective measures to regain our footing. And so unfortunately, brothers and sisters, complacency is something that impacts all of us. We see complacency all around us. Matter of fact, we see it with the college professor who mindlessly go from one lecture to another. The person who experienced tragedy, who cannot quite get the energy to regain life again. Complacency can creep and seep into the best of us. The musician whose music now once was an expression of the soul is no longer a song. It can impact the position, it can impact the mechanic, the cook, the student, the young mother, the teenager, even the preacher. All of us can be impacted by complacency. It's not just an old person's condition. Because we're witnessing the age of a growing community of young folks who haven't even started living yet. And yet it's still complacent. And unfortunately, the spirit of complacency in our younger community is the byproduct of an attitude of entitlement. You don't feel you got to hustle. You don't feel you got to work. You don't feel you got to get up early. You just believe that life's just supposed to show up on your front door. And so the challenge again is to recognize and take corrective measures to regain your foot. So Amos, can you help us? Amos says, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. To those who feel secure on the mountains of Samaria and to the notable men of the furs of the nation to whom the house of Israel come, pass through Kanae and see, and from there go to Hamath the great, and then go down to Gath, the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? O oh, you who put far away the day of disaster, nothing can happen to me. To those of you who put away far the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory. You're scratching yourself out on your couch. You're eating your lamb chops from your flock. You're eating even your filet mignon from the midst of the stall. You're singing your songs. You're sounding it off on the harp. You're using the instrument like David. You're drinking your wine in your bowls, anointing yourself with oil. But you don't care about nobody but yourself. You don't even grieve over the ruins of Joseph. So, Oliver, can you help me? Listen, I'm Craig. I'm your friend. Can I, can, 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 can I, can I help you on conquering complacency? Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, here's the first one you want to take note of. Here it is. You have to reevaluate your passivity before God. In other words, here it is, you have become passive. Refuse to allow complacency, here it is, to rule your life. The first step, the first step, here it is, is awareness. Now let me prove to you that you're complacent. If by chance in my preaching this message, you're sitting there right now 
with an attitude and you're cognitively debating and disagreeing with the message. You're sitting there saying, I don't believe that. That ain't, that ain't, that ain't, who told him? Here it is. And if we were to go home with you, we'll see the evidence of complacency. And here's the crazy part. Here's the crazy part. And you have learned how to justify it. I'm complacent. Let me be complacent. Don't disrupt me. Don't bother me. Just let me be. Here it is. And you will always stay in that complacent space until you reevaluate your passivity. Stop normalizing complacency. Matter of fact, come here, come here. You owe God an apology. God has blessed you with life, health, and strength. God has given you a brand new day. And you mean to tell me you're not going to do anything with the life and the opportunity that God has given you? You owe God an apology. You owe God an apology. You have to reevaluate your passivity. Here it is. Amos actually outlines the pillars to passivity. Let me give you the pillars. Here's the first pillar, slothfulness. Slothfulness, slothfulness. That's not a word that we hear often today, but can I break down the Hebrew meaning of the word slothfulness? Can I give you the etymological meaning of the word slothfulness? The word slothfulness means lazy. Your problem is you just downright lazy. See, please, please understand that there's two contrasting attitudes in life. One attitude in life is called the get-by attitude. The other attitude in life is called the then-some attitude. See, this room is made up of two types of people. You're either the get-by or you're either a part of the, and the then some. Those with the get by attitude never get ahead. However, those with, and the then some, here it is, greatly exceed. Let me explain it. In other words, you work out 30 minutes and then some. You read the required assignment for class and then some. You save 20% of your salary and then some. You give 10% tithe and offering and then some. You forgive multiple times and then some. You go one mile. And so you're upset with the folks who are prospering, living a good life because they refuse to just get by. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, identify yourself. Are you a part of the get by? Or are you a part of the then some? Let me hear the then some shout right now. I'm a part of the then some. I'm a part of the then some. I'm a part of the then some. I'm not going to just do enough to get by. Because when you get by, you never get ahead. He said, that's the problem with you in Amos, your spirit of slothfulness. 
He, here it is. He says, he says, it's not just a spirit of slothfulness. He says, but there's a second pillar to passivity. It is satisfaction. Oh, no, I know. I know we don't try to redeem the word satisfied. You ought to just be satisfied. You, you just ought to be satisfied. Don't expect more. Don't dream bigger. Just be satisfied. Here it is. And the problem with satisfaction is you have become satisfied with things as they are. And what if you stop trying to play God? And what if you let God be God? You will end up discovering that God says, I got much more. I got, I got much more. I got, I, I got much more. You cannot be satisfied with things as they are. Again, there can be the tendency of becoming complacent when we are satisfied. After all, things are good. We're content. I got enough. But God says, but I, I got more. Now, we can rest and enjoy what we have. And God says, but I got more. Like as an example, like as an example, you've been living 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And the furthest you have gone has been from your house to church. You haven't crossed the state line yet. You don't live your whole life in Florida. God says, I done created this whole world for you to see and to enjoy. But you have stayed so satisfied. And God says, and you owe me an apology. And you do understand, you do understand, and, and here, here it is, I have redefined uh, vacations. I call them worship trips. I, I call them, I call them, you call them what you call them, I call them worship trips. Like, I, like my son and I and, and Cleo, we went not too long ago to Cape Town, South Africa. And I told him, I said, y'all see what God did? You see the African Ocean? <laughs> you see the mountains and the hills? And when you see what God has created, the Bible says automatically we ought to worship him. But you miss out on worship opportunities. Can I tell you? Because you don't travel. You haven't seen nothing. Satisfied. Slothfulness. Satisfaction. Here's the other one. Here's the other one. Here's the other one. Here's what keeps you stuck. Superficial security. 
It's right here. It's right there in the text. You're in your ivory tower, and you feel ain't nothing can rock your world. You have found, the text says, security in the mountains of Samaria. And you feel secure. You just feel like my life is invincible. And because of such, you have become complacent. Let, 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 me, let me advance on. Amos says, not only must you and I get to the point in place that we reevaluate our passivity before God, and probably that's a good place for all of us to just take a brief moment to just, just repent because we all have had spaces in our life where we just became just too passive. Just we rationalized it. We justified it. We've legitimized it. We've excused it. And God says, no, you owe me an apology. Because I created you for more. I desire more for your life. There is something net. As God is my witness, I sat there. I don't operate in the prophetic. I'm not, you know, who does? I sat there and I kept sensing God has so much more. Listen to this. And you're out of space. You can't settle here. See, see, he, ooh, for free. See, the optical illusion of leadership is when you see a full house. It looks good from an optical perspective, but God says, but there's so much more. And it's like a shark in an aquarium. The shark will only grow to its confinement. God says, if you stay here, you stop growing. Because there's so much more. Here it is. Here's the second thing. Let, let me just hasten. Here it is. Reclaim your preferred future with God. You, you really see it, not in chapter 6, but in chapter 9. I want, you, I want you to look at chapter number 9. He says, here is how you conquer complacency. You reclaim a vision of your future, where it is, here it is, that you begin to reimagine. You have a vision. What is a vision? A vision is a mental picture of your preferable future that is based upon an accurate understanding of God's self and your circumstances. Can I give that to you again? A vision is a mental picture of your preferable future that is based upon an accurate understanding of God's self and your circumstances. And here is what the text says. In Amos 9, verse 11, God says, there is more that I have. And you got to have a vision of the future. So he says in Amos 9, verse 11, you got to see this. In that day, speaking towards the future, I will rise up the booth of David that has fallen. I will repair its breaches. I will raise up its ruins, and I will rebuild it as was the days of old. There's several things in the text. He says, I will rise it up, raise it up. I will repair it, and I will rebuild it. God says, in essence, that as you prepare for the future, it's going to require sweat equity. 
God says, I know what it looked like in the past. I know the disaster of the past. I know the destruction of the past. But I'm going to raise up the booth of David that had fallen. Because there's some things in your life that has fallen apart. But God says, in the future, I'm going to raise it up. Is there anybody here that can testify that I'm in this season of restoration? God is going to raise some stuff up. He's going to raise it up. There's some things in my life that has been broken. God says, I'm going to repair it. There's some things in my life that has been damaged. God says, I'm going to rebuild it as it was in the days of past. The reference point to the days of the past indicates that this is something I'm going to do in the future. And I wonder if there's anyone in here that can testify. I believe I'm entering into a season that God is going to raise up some stuff. God is going to repair some things. God is going to rebuild some things. And so even right now, the reason why I'm excited is because I'm living on the edge of expectation. Oh, yeah. The, the, the past was difficult. The past was hard. The past was damaging. But I'm living on the I'm living right on the edge of expectation. I'm expecting God to do something. I'm expecting God to open doors. I'm expecting God to turn my circumstance around. I'm expecting God. And a matter of fact, I got so much expectation. You can't make me doubt him. I know too much about him. I got expectation. This is my season. That he's going to repair Rebuild. And so let me help you. If you're serious about getting over complacency, stop milling-mouthing over what happened in the past season of your life. It happened. Get on the edge of expectation and tell God, I'm going to reclaim my future. Two more observations. I'm done. If that's, if that's going to happen, he says, if you're going to overcome complacency, you have to reclaim your preferred future, God. You have to reevaluate your passivity before God. But here's the third one. Here's the third one. And here's the one you may not like. You have to renew your passion for God. You cannot break complacency with your past passion. You're entering into a season, child of God, listen to this, where you have to go for broke. You, you, you got to put all your chips in. You, you, you got to resolve today that I'm leaving nothing on the table. I'm, I'm, putting, I'm leaving it all on the field. I'm, 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 I'm going to renew my passion. Listen to what he says in Amos 5, verse 4 down to verse number 6. He says, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, don't miss this, seek me and live. 
Do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal. Do not cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile. Bethel shall come to nothing. He says, in other words, stop seeking stuff in the past that's not going to help you for your future. He says, don't go to Bethel. Bethel was good in one dispensation. Don't go to Gilgal. Gilgal was great when Gilgal was popping. Don't go to Beersheba because Beersheba is not where I'm moving right now. He says, here it is, but you better seek me. Ooh, for free. Here it is, for free. Here it is. Stop seeking places and seek his person. He says, seek me and live. Seek me. That if you're going to overcome complacency, it's going to require spiritual discipline. I, I, wish, I wish I had some other way of explaining this point, and I do apologize for the lack of profanity. But in this season, you got to seek God. You, you, you got to stop seeking people. You better seek God. Here it is with everything you have. He said, you got to seek me as if your life depends on me. See, if you're going to break complacency, in this season, you need to get up an hour earlier. Can I help you? Not to fix your coffee. Not to scramble your eggs. Not to boil your grits. But to seek his face. In this season in your life, you need to do much more than just read a daily bread. A little three-minute devotional and a little cute little quote. In this season in your life, you got to get deep in his word. Deep calls unto deep. In this season of your life, here it is. You got to do more than just pass one meal. This may be a season you may need to go a whole week or a whole month saying, God, I'm seeking you because I need you to break this complacency in me. In other words, here it is. It requires that you and I Renew our passion for God. And it has to be a passion for God that does not just happen on Sunday. Sunday is the overflow of what's been happening all week long. I've been seeking him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so I enter into his courts with thanksgiving and I come into his house with praise it's an overflow. And so listen, listen, I, I've been pastoring long enough to know that some of you came here today thinking, it don't take all that. I wish they sit down. Take all that singing, all that. It don't take all of that. It don't take, let me tell you what's wrong with you. You're irritated because you hadn't been seeking him over the week. See, had you been in his presence seeking him all over the week, you would have come up in here. 
with your hands lifted up and your heart filled with praise. This is a season, if you're going to break complacency, like never before, you and I must renew a passion for God. Renew our passion for God. Would you just say, Lord, I seek you. need you to renew my passion for you. Where, where, I, where I move from just recreational religion, where I come to a place of a real relationship. That, that, that here it is that is unique for us. Everybody doesn't relate to God the same way. <laughs> unique to you. God, God says, we have, here it is, a personal relationship. This is not some cookie cutter. And whatever it is in this season, seek him. Here it is. And seek his face and not just his hand. Just play softly. I'm done. If you play softly, that'll help me finish. That'll help me finish. <laughs> As the deer panteth after the water brook, so my soul longs for thee, O oh God. I want my walk with you to be fresh to be vibrant. I want my walk with you to be renewed. And I no longer just want to live a complacent life. I want to resume pursuing you. And here's the last thing. If you want to break, break complacency, You have to be willing to reach other people for God. I want you to really listen to me. He says, you become so complacent, so comfortable, where you're only concerned about yourself. And you have lost a burden for the house of Joseph. You're not concerned about other people who are broken, who are burdened. And it's all about you. He says, what really shows me that you have a heart for me is that you have a heart for my people. I 
I want to challenge you in this season. To say, God, I want to be so used by you. That when I see a person who is burdened, avail me to be your hands that reach, to be your feet that go, to be your lips that speak, to be your heart that cares. Don't allow me to become so self Absorbed where I'm not concerned about others. Love of God, I pray that you've heard this on the corporate level, but also on a personal level. Don't live a complacent life. Because if there's one thing that will impact your life and your leadership in this upcoming season, is complacency. And I want to pray for you as I prepare to take my seat. I, I celebrate the 25 amazing years that God has allowed this church to operate, that God has used this man of God, this woman of God, to bring impact and change. Listen to this that has modeled a life of a passionate pursuit after God. Here it is. One thing I know about your pastors, they don't live in a space of complacency. Always pushing, always driving, always saying there's more. As priests, so must be people. That anointing of passion, that anointing of enthusiasm. There's more than just prosperity that comes down. Your, your prayer in this season ought to be, Lord, I'm, I'm not asking for prosperity right now. Just give me a passion where I'm no longer complacent, that I'm constantly seeking hard after you. And I'm living the life that you have destined, declared, and has dreamed. And here it is. And I owe no one an apology or an explanation about the life that God has called me to live. You know what has freed me so much in life? I've stopped trying to explain to people what I believe God is seeking to do in my life. I don't owe you an explanation. I owe him full obedience to what he's asked of me. Let's pray. Father, I've been faithful with the assignment that you've given today. Take this, your word, and apply it to the hearts of these, your people. That fruit would come forth. 
I pray against any attitude, any disposition of shame, guilt, condemnation, or defeat. Yes, even fear and a spirit of uncertainty, I come against every spirit, every disposition that will hold one hostage to their past. I pray, God, that you would forgive us for all of our personal moments of passivity where we allow slothfulness, where we allowed a twisted attitude of satisfaction and superficial security to keep us complacent. Forgive us for those moments that we fail to have a sensitive heart for others who are broken and burdened. Help us to believe and help us to see that you have more in store for our lives. Thank you for this pastor. Thank you for these pastors who model a life of leadership that is constantly pursuing after you. Thank you, O oh God, for over the 25 years that you have raised them as an exemplar of what it means to have high expectations. Father, I pray even now as they enter into this upcoming dispensation of leadership for greater favor, for greater resources, for greater blessings. God, I pray even now that every facet of their lives will feature favor. May they be walking billboards of, of your favor. Father, I thank you right now for what you're doing in exceeding grace. And we pray that you would exceed their expectations even the more. We pray for expansion. We pray for expansion. We pray for increase. We pray for expansion. We pray for expansion. We pray for increase. We thank you right now for increase in capacity. Capacity in people. Capacity in their skills. Capacity in what they're able to accomplish. Father, we pray right now that what is happening throughout this city would happen in this sanctuary. Increase even now. Send the resources. We call them forth from the north, south, east, and west. Silence every voice of fear. Silence every voice of doubt. Release right in this place now, Father, a spirit of faith. Radical faith. Unrelenting faith. A faith that will pursue you completely and totally. We claim it. And what you do in this house, do in everyone else's house. For every faithful, committed chaser after you, God, we pray blessings upon their lives. 
for that person who has resolved today that they will no longer live complacent, but will pursue hard after you. Give them now, Father, the stamina to run and not get weary, to walk and not faint. Renew them like an eagle right now. Lift them high to exalted places. Give them the feet like the deer that they might be able to tread and climb steep mountains. We claim it as done. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, listen, if you feel even right now that God has spoken to you, would you give God praise? Come on, would you give God glory right now? Come on, would you take about 30 good seconds and give God the best praise?